You are now tuned in to another episode of the Sales Development Podcast, powered by Tenbound, hosted by David Denver. My name is James Bodden, here to introduce episode 208, featuring Chet Lovegren, also known as the Sales Doctor. This episode wastes zero time in bringing immediate value. The episode kicks off with David asking Chet to share his philosophy around SDR alignment and the ever, ever talked about SDR to AE promotion path. Chet has some really great thoughts on this topic, and this is a theme that continues throughout the episode. At the 10-minute mark, Chet goes over how leaders can weave in emotional intelligence into their coaching styles and details some really great tactical tips for sales development leaders and how they can connect with their team like he connects with his. At the 25-minute mark, David and Chet go over what Chet looks for when promoting someone on his team. Again, that SDR to AE promotion that everybody loves to talk about, Chet is giving us some very real advice and real view from a manager's point of view on what he looks for when somebody wants to be promoted. At the 38 minute mark, David asks Chet to predict the future for sales development in the SDR role. Chet lives in this world, loves this world, and so his predictions are a must listen. This episode is so chock full of value. If you enjoy it, head over to tenbound.com, leave a rating. But for now, enjoy episode 208 featuring Chet Lovegren. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. This is David Denver, your host. Today, we're going to be speaking with someone I would like to call a true leader. Please welcome to the show, Mr. Chet Lovegren, the Director of Sales Development at Pavilion. Awesome to have you here, Chet. Yeah, thanks, David. Pleasure to be here. Looking forward to our call today. Yeah, man. Same here. And, you know, I think, you know, when we chatted last week, one of the things that really stood out to me was your philosophy behind, you know, SDR alignment and SDR to AE promotion path. And I thought that was, you know, quite not only creative, but it just told me simply who you are and what you stood for as a leader. So maybe like, let's start with like talking about a little bit about your philosophy behind both those two things. Yeah. So I'm glad we're starting there because it's probably one of the things that I'm most passionate about. People would say that I'm biased because I come from sales development and that's okay, right? I should be biased in that regard because these are the people that I lead. If you're not an advocate for your people, then what the heck are you doing? And so in the SDR role as a whole, there's this thing where it's, we're just stuck looking at it as like glorified telemarketers. Like I've literally heard not a pavilion, but an executive at a company in the recurring revenue model world refer to SDRs. Well, they're, you know, I mean, they're glorified telemarketers. Like what else can we really give them when talking about benefits and structure and career pathing? And it's like, these are not just glorified telemarketers. They are the future of your business. SDRs get to spend a hundred percent of their time doing something that as a potential AE for your company, They'll be doing 25% of the time. And if they can't knock it out of the park in that 25% of the time, that's the difference between them hitting and not hitting quotas as an account executive. Because even though we're in this position where I have all these thoughts about the future of the SDR world, which we can talk about, AEs are always responsible at some point for generating some of their own pipeline. Unless you've been in AE for 30 years and you're in a much more tenured role, right? I have people that would argue that, well, hey, none of my AEs prospect. Well, that's fantastic. But a lot of cases, the AE role is getting younger and younger and younger. I mean, when I started in sales, if you saw an AE under 30, it'd be like, what the heck? 
Now it's like common for people that are 25, 26, 27 to be a, you know, two-year AE already. And so 25% of your time is going to be spent generating your own pipeline. And you have to essentially fit 20 hours worth of pipeline generation into 10 hours of your week or so. And if you're not really, really good at it and you can't do what you need to do to accomplish that goal, you're going to fail. And so SDRs get that practice, but specifically not just the practice, but also the practice for you, your company, your ICP, your personas specifically. So when we look at what's more affordable, would we rather go pay an AE, you know, upper end of fair market value plus commission, plus all the things they know they can ask for because they've been in tenured AE, or would we rather, you know, bump the salary and the commissionable opportunity of an SDR who already cares about our business, cares about our customers, cares about our product, who is willing to work their tail off to become a first-time AE. And we're not taking advantage of that, right? We're not saying, oh, it, but it's the ROI is much makes much more sense at that level. And so when we're not putting in the effort and the time and the alignment to see the SDR or turn into our future AEs, I think there's just a huge misalignment there on not only revenue for the company, but what sales leader really wants to hire and interview AEs every six months? It's not that much fun, right? Especially as most AEs, their average tenure is now 18 months. Like who wants to do that every six months? Wouldn't it be better if you had an SDR who only needed some AE specific training around effective discovery, pricing, negotiation, pipeline management, forecasting to put into that role than someone you have to start from scratch and do the the whole drinking from the fire hose, the company Kool-Aid thing, the product knowledge, the process knowledge, it's just so much more effective that way. And so I'm really passionate about the SDR to AE conversation, not only from an alignment perspective, but also in just like an internal perspective of how you shape and manage that relationship, how you set people up for success. Because number one, most companies I don't think are doing a good job of managing that relationship and that alignment. But number two, more importantly, I think that when you put more focus on that alignment, I think also SDR managers take a better approach to it. They take more consideration into what they're doing and they make it more actionable. They don't feel like they're just being, you know, like corporate bro calls it an SDR manny, right? A man nanny for SDRs. Like, yeah, of course people are going to look at things that way because historically that's how a lot of people feel. Plus SDRs don't want to sit in the seat longer than they have to. And when do you typically find SDRs sitting in the seat longer than they have to? When number one, they're not getting the coaching they need to become either an enterprise level SDR, team lead SDR, or an SDR manager or an AE. And number two, when they really don't have the skills to do that, And they're being held back by their manager because they're not getting the coaching they want or really the coaching they need, right? And so I think there's just a whole misalignment in terms of the SDR to AE path, not only from a promotion and a career perspective, but even an alignment perspective on how we function, how we respect and treat that department as well. And right, it's not a blanket statement. Not every company is like this, but more often than not, I'm seeing this as a more common practice. And I get it, right? AEs are looking for qualified opportunities that sometimes the SDRs don't always hit on and there can be that friction, but we have to find a way to improve it or else, you know, we're just going to be hiring new people every six months and it's going to be a constant thing where they, we go, oh, that's what happens when you work at a fast moving company. Like that excuse only works so often. Like we have to be better than that. No, absolutely. I mean, that's just great golden nuggets that you just provided there, Chet. And, you know, maybe to take a step back, you know, thinking about SDRs, I mean, I've seen the plenty of SDRs throughout my career that were rock star SDRs, but then you put them in the AE seat, they failed. And I think about this in two ways. Did they fail due to the fact that management did not prepare them and, and help them get to, you know, to be able to be ready to become an AE? Or simply is there some type of like, what are your thoughts around that? Like, if they're not ready, is that the manager's fault? 
Or would you just say like some people just are not going to be overall good AEs? It's the SDR manager and the AE manager's fault. It's never the fault of the person. You're the one that put them there. You're the one that's been running their professional development since they became an SDR. You're the one that decided to actually let them move in that seat. Now, I'm not saying the SDR who's been at the company two years is holding your feet to the fire that you either make me an AE or I'm going to go somewhere where they'll hire me as an AE. I'm not saying you shouldn't accommodate that person. You shouldn't be in that position. At month 10, you should know if this person's going to be an AE or not. If you don't, then guess what? They're probably going to be a career SDR. 80-20 rule, right? Manage to the 80%. Don't manage to the 20% of people that aren't going to work out. 20% of your employees are going to be departers. They're people that you either need to help out or help out. And you have to learn that really quickly. And by month 10, you should really know if this is someone that is a builder, a maintainer, or a departer. They're a departer. Here are the things you need to get better. If they're a maintainer, hey, you can stay in SDR. If you want to be an AE, you kind of need to do a little bit more here. If they're a builder, you want to teach them the things that they're going to need to get that role. And those are the ones that typically get that role within their 12th, 13th, 14th month. But yeah, if you're being held to the fire by an SDR, it was like, I've been here long enough. I need to be an AE, or I'm going to go be an AE somewhere else then you're already in a bad spot. And that's on your SDR manager and your AE manager for not effectively managing that person's expectations and their career path. If you're at like an 18 month mark and you're talking about it, then it's still on them because they need to put a proper plan in place to make sure that you're able to succeed as an account executive. And more importantly, when they become an account executive, you need to treat them a little differently than a prior AE that has experience. I cannot stand going into companies where they give first-time AEs that were SDRs of the company, like total crap leads, like, go cut your teeth on this. Why? That is so bad. Go have the new AE who just said, oh, I did 150000 in revenue every month, you know, blah, 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 talking themselves up. The person that, the big talker that just got landed as an AE, go give them the shit accounts and let them run with it, right? Let them prove their worth and then let the other AE get some decent wax while also still cutting their teeth, but let them get some decent wax on some warmer opportunities. Like I would say 30%, right? 30% of whatever they need in terms of opportunity should be related to more warm opportunity. Give them, if you don't have a specific channel sales team, give them a partner referral or a channel sales opportunity to kind of just get good at practicing very low friction, low barrier to entry, how to do effective discovery and how to demo product and how to you know gain agreement moving forward. You need to give them a little bit more trust and opportunity. I think, again, that just boils down to the manager and their own self-confidence. Do you feel that you prepared this person or do you feel that a channel partner lead is going to come in and they're going to fall flat on their face? That boils down to you as a manager and understanding if you're confident or not or training them. So to answer your question, if they fail, it's always on the managers. That's the point of leadership, right? When your team does good, it's about them. When they do bad, it's about you. And you have to accept that if you want to be a manager or a leader, whatever you want to call it. And again, if you're in that position where it's a two-year AE holding your feet to the fire because of timing, shouldn't be in that position in the first place. If you are, that's probably someone that's going to fail anyway, and you just need to let them run their course and go cut their teeth somewhere else. No, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, Chat, you and I are very much aligned with the fact that like you're such an awesome leader. I think the things we talked through a few weeks ago was kind of your philosophy about being a manager and looking at a dashboard, right? There's so many leaders today that are just simply just looking at the dashboard, looking at the calls, looking at the emails, looking at the KPIs, but they don't mix in that emotional intelligence. They don't coach up. They're just more micromanaging. So like Mm -hmm. talk through those things, like as a leader, what are you doing to really help your team? Because it sounds like you go into the weeds with them on a daily basis. So I think the most important thing when you're trying to coach 
which is what it is, right? It's coaching. Training is the transfer of knowledge. Coaching is the enhancement of knowledge. And so they get all the training. They get everything they need. They meet with everybody at the company. They do all the stuff, right? But how do we enhance that skill? How do we identify those skill gaps and improve upon them? I think the number one thing is in my old CRO at 3PL Central, Dan Salazar, shout out. But he preaches to me when I became a manager for the first time under his tutelage. And he said, inspect what you expect and don't expect too much, right? It's your job as the manager to look at the 50 data points and notice the trend and go, this, this, and this are the top three. This is probably the thing we need to solve for exactly now, while the other two will work on the next month or two, mm-hmm. right? So what is the thing that's keeping your rep from success? Hey, man, you're making a lot of calls. You got good engagement, but you got a low conversion rate in terms of these opportunities becoming qualified. And you also have a low show rate. Well, let's think about low-hanging fruit. Show rate is really easy to fix right? That's a pretty easy thing to fix. It's not in your control, but it's an easy thing to fix. There's just some process things you need to follow there. What you can fix is the people that you're targeting. So let's focus on that, right? Show rate will be fixed because that just means you're not following our process and you should be. And because I should have a process for increasing show rates, right? So that's just following that process. Now, in terms of you and your calls and who you're targeting, that's why your SQO conversion rate is low right? You book 20 ops, only five of them are qualified. That's a red flag. That's something that you could fix because it's your efforts and who you're targeting. So I need to start there. Start with the one thing, find three things that are important, but find the one thing that you can work on now that is the most important, right? The, what's the core problem? Not the, we always go to symptoms. We look at a lot of symptoms. We even do that as AEs, right? When a company says, oh, this is my problem. It's typically a symptom of what their core problem is. That's how you turn $10,000 problems into million dollar problems but it's really about focusing on that key metric, inspecting what you expect of people. And it's your job as the manager to look at all the data and provide your feedback. Now, before you do any of that though, you have to get buy-in from your rep. And in order to get buy-in from your rep, you have to let them make the observation. And it's not that you're lazy and you're not doing the work. David, you already did the work. You looked at the 50 points of data. You have an idea of what's going on. There might be some light that could be shed from the rep that might prove you wrong, but at the end of the day, you kind of want to see where their self-awareness is. And so when it comes to performance, you have to interrogate the outcome, not the person. And a lot of people do the reverse. What's going on with you this month? Why'd you only make 20 calls yesterday? You've been only making 28 calls per day. What's going on? You know, that's, you're interrogating the person. Instead, look at the month where they were doing better. Hey, what do you think changed between now and January? well, I think this, this, and this. And you go, yeah, that's a fair assessment. What about your call volume? How does that look? Right. And I'm not the manager who's going to preach calls or everything. Sales is a quantity and a quality game. I get that. I have a rep who's making maybe a hundred dials a week and he's my top rep right now because his email game is on point. His LinkedIn game is on point. He knows what he's doing from a very high level. I'm a fan of if you're doing something right, the team can learn from it. It's when the numbers aren't there that we're going to have a conversation and then do it a little bit more my way. And my way is very activity driven because I know the sales math. I've been doing this for a decade, but you have to interrogate the outcome first and understand what's going on and see where that level of self-awareness is from the rep and then agree with them. Yeah, those could be some things that are out of your control that are affecting it. What if we look at this, this, and this, what do you think about that? What are your thoughts there? Well, yeah, you know, I've just, my day's kind of gotten away from me. Then you start getting some of the more answers that are going on because we're all working from home for the most part, right? You start getting a little bit more of those answers and you start helping them see the light a little bit. And then you focus on that coaching piece, right? That coaching piece where you've analyzed the data and you give them the feedback and you find the thing that works. I think this is one of the ways that a lot of 
managers and leaders fall short is because we're immediately interrogating the person, not the outcome. And then we're throwing them a bunch of crap and we're like, look at all this, you know? And it's like, that's not very intentional. I want to hear from you what you think is going on. I want you to be self-aware. I want you to self-observe, give me some input. Because if I just make assumptions that because your call volume is low, that's why this is wrong. Then I look like an idiot when that might not really be the thing. Because then what if the rep comes back and goes, oh, your integration on your dialer isn't right. Here is the 80 calls per day that I was making. Your assessment is wrong. You just want to preach activity. You're a standard SDR, Manny. I'm good. I'm checked out now. Now you just made a big boo-boo because you didn't take the time to interrogate the outcome and get their observation before you know, and that's just speaking before, you know, or that's just speaking before listening, right? You need to actively listen, you know, look to hear before you speak. And most people don't want to, they want to go, I found the problem because I looked at all the data. No, get your reps input before you give them the secret sauce. And then you say, yeah, that's great. What about this? Well, can, let me get your thoughts on this. Here's the data. What do you think about that? What's your feedback here? Then you're no longer who's right or who's wrong. It's what are we going to do to fix things? A little bit more why behind the what. No, I think you nailed it right on the head. And I can appreciate that knowing that there's some of the outliers, I won't call them the lone wolves, but individuals that can perform at a high level, they might not stick to the daily KPIs per se, but if they're getting the qualified meetings, I mean, that's the end game. Like, okay, like go kind of do your thing. But I've also heard on the other side, can that leave some bad morale within the organization? Like, Hey, David, or just whoever is not making calls, but then it's like as an SDR manager, how do you respond to that? Well, look at the dashboard. I mean, right? Like, how do you kind of calm those fires from other SDRs that might point that out to you as an SDR leader? I think it's all about the culture that you've built up to that point and allowing reps to understand the point of rep autonomy. Like I preach that to my people all the time. I'll say like, hey, like I'm not a meeting heavy person at all. I get we all want to do things like you want to go eat lunch and then sit on the couch for 20 minutes and watch TikToks? Dude, that's your prerogative. Do it. That's why we work from home. But I don't want us to say we don't have enough time in the day to do something because we do. You're not spending two hours commuting and getting ready every single day. You're not having to deal with traffic. You can eat lunch from home. You're not coming out of your pocketbook to pay for lunch every day or meal prep lunch for you know to take it to work. There's so many time savings that we have. Don't use that to slack off. Use that to make up for the time that you miss in the middle of your day. And building that autonomous culture helps people understand that people do what works for them and understanding that like, yeah, okay. Yeah. If somebody, like if somebody said to me in the SRL, I'm speaking about specifically and said, well, this person is making this many calls and they're hitting their number. Totally understood. So it's like when I used to sell car insurance years ago and somebody would say, well, my friend pays $149 a month for their car insurance. Great. Let's look at all the variables you know what I mean? If you really want to get that deep into it, per- turns out person is older than them, has a cleaner driving record, drives a crappier car, lives in a different zip code, has different type of coverages. Like everything is different. Nothing is the same. And it's the same in sales. Like even if you're making the exact number of cold calls, you're doing the calls completely different than someone else. Even today I was doing a cold call role play and I heard how someone was doing it. And I was actually like, you've been here long enough that I'm actually surprised that that's the route you're taking. I think we can make some improvements here and here. And then I'm listening to someone who's been doing it for three months and it's like, wow, I'm blown away. Like this is definitely a future AE. And I think that's just so important to understand that everybody's path is a little bit different. And hopefully your coaching culture is one where everybody's trying to learn from one another as well, because that's the thing. I know people are going to this person and saying like, Hey, you know, that second email has got a 30% conversion rate. Let me see what, you, what, what are you writing there? You know, what did you create? 
And then he's going, well, I went to Kyle Coleman's cold emailing course through Pavilions SDR University. And that's what helped me understand this thing about the power line. And then he starts talking about all these things and sharing that with the team. And then they're like, okay, now we're going to take that learning. Now, on top of the 40 cold calls that I'm making a day that I'm seeing more success from, I'm also getting more email conversions and then we all get better. But they still realize that, hey, like some people also, I think, just recognize like the people that are going to come to you and say, why is the, well, that person's successful and they're making 20 calls a day are the people that are looking not to make cold calls. Like I can tell you on my team, nobody's going to leverage the fact that this person is succeeding making 20 cold calls a day as a reason not to. They're going to come to me and they're going to say, hey, I want to figure out how he's doing all this. Can we have a training? And that's how you build that coaching culture. It is about that rep autonomy, letting people live where they want to live because not everybody's going to love making cold calls. It's a necessary evil, but some people aren't and other people are like, I know I was a rep where I was like, yeah, have fun writing a bunch of emails. I just want to go make a hundred cold calls. Like I want to get told no faster than that. It just makes more sense. I think for the most part, that's how most people are. This person at Pavilion who's booking all these meetings is also one of our top cold callers until they made an interesting little pivot on our team to do something a little bit differently to make their time make sense, right? Because the cold calls became a lot. And so the thing is that if this person had to go make 100 calls a day, they could and they would be equally as successful. They just found a really good niche that they're operating in. And if people can duplicate it, that's great. But at the end of the day, the person who comes and says, well, this person does this good and they only make this many cold calls per day is the person who's going to look to say, I shouldn't make that many cold calls because the sky is pink. You know what I mean? Like they're going to try to find a reason any way that they can. Oh, the Cleveland Browns signed to Sean Watson. You know, they traded for him. I shouldn't go make a whole bunch of cold calls. You know what I mean? Like whatever. I don't know. I don't even know why that's top of mind for me right now. Probably too much football reading today, but they're going to find a reason to make an excuse about it. It's the reps that aren't bringing that question. Again, 80-20 rule, focus on managing to the 80%, not the 20% of people who are just going to piss and moan and complain. Focus on the people that go, man, this guy's great. Can we do a, like a cold email session with him? Like, can we all just sit and like pick his brain about email? Yeah, let's do it. Let's set 30 minutes up to do that if that's going to be valuable for everybody. And then now you have this culture of feedback and coaching where everybody's bought in. No, that's great. And to give you a little bit of side credit there, I mean, you're probably thinking about football because the schedule just got released. I know I'm there as well. So yeah, no, I love the football analogy. Yeah. My Steelers are in for it this year. That's probably, that's really what's going on in my head. I'm like, man, we got to play Deshaun Watson twice a year. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, you know, that's unfortunate, but we'll figure it out. I was looking at the schedule. Like, do they play anywhere close to California this year? And I'm like, no, everything's pretty much like middle and East coast. I'm going to have to fly to Pittsburgh this year for a game if I want to go. Well, they do come out to Florida. I think I'm not hundred percent sure, but I believe they play either Jacksonville or Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So yeah, they play the Bucks. They play the Bucks. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a little bit closer out to Tampa. So if you come out this way, I'll get us some tickets. So no stress. There we go. There we go. Love it. <laughs> but no, to continue to have fun here, man. Like you being the sales doctor, I want to prescribe a a certain scenario at two SDRs that are looking to move to be an account executive. And what I mean by that is, I'm just going to paint this scenario. And then you being the sales doctor, prescribe some type of a medication. Does that okay. sound cool? Love it. Just want to get weird with it, right? So why not, doc? Love so it. there's an SDR that is always about right at quota or a little below. And they keep on telling you on one-on-ones that they want to become an account executive. How do you help them get there and not just get there, but to be able to be in a successful account executive? What advice would you give somebody that's like average, sometimes not hitting quota, but sometimes you'll 
get quota from them. I know it's a little vague, but I just thought, why not? Let's get weird. And I'm going to see what type of medication you would prescribe them. Well, I think first and foremost, I have to look at similar to Simon Sinek when he talks about like the Navy SEALs and how he learned about promotion from the Navy SEALs. You know, everybody wants a high performer, high trust, right? It's like a scale, like performance goes this way, trust goes this way. And the farther we get, the better the employee, right? And everybody wants a high performer, a high trust. But in the SEALs, they say like, what kind of person is that? How do you define that? And they say, well, it's the kind of person where you say, I would trust you with my life, but would I trust you with my wife? Right. And then he says, and then there's, you know, over here, there's a low performer, low trust, but then there's this one that we seem for some reason in corporate America to give a lot of benefit to, and that's the high performer, a low trust. And then Simon Sinek says, does anybody know how to identify that person? And then everybody in the room laughs. He goes, yeah, it's the asshole, right? Like that's who it is. The high performer, low trust. But the Navy SEALs have even said, I would rather take a medium performer of high trust than a high performer, low trust. And so medium performer, right? Someone who, you know, hits quota 75% of the time, right? And they've never hit below 75% in a given month. So it's like you get these 80, 85, sometimes hundred, maybe 105 one month. And they were really excited. So great question. How do you manage that? Well, you have to understand, are they someone of high trust? Because if they're low trust, the prescription is they're a departer and you need to help them out. Right. But if they are high trust, how do you manage to that? I tell people in the SDR to AE program that I run that, you know, outside of hitting quota, most people don't know how to get promoted. And 58% of reps consistently miss quota month over month. So how the heck do you get promoted? They're still getting promoted, right? Even those 58%. And I think a big part of it is how much ownership and responsibility and commitment to your development are you taking with your manager, right? Have you made your intentions known? Okay, you want to be an AE. And I understand that sometimes I know SDRs that were not that great at SDRs that are actually good AEs, even though the job is very similar in some regards, it's just a little different, right? Maybe some people just aren't the greatest at generating their own opportunities, but they're incredible at the sales process. That's very common. Outbound, cold calling, that's a very tough thing to do while it's still getting people to move. Just because you're not a successful SDR doesn't mean you're not going to be a successful AE. Because what, David? We've seen the same thing. Not just because you're a successful SDR, does that mean you're going to be a successful AE? We've seen those people fail too, right? And so the coin is both sides. And so really it's like, okay, you're asking me this, but what are you doing outside of hitting quota to show me that you're ready to take this on? Because it's a lot of self-learning. It's a lot of skill development. It's a lot of feedback and self-seeking. So my prescription would be fantastic. Make the case. How do you make the case? There are spreadsheets people can get from me that I use with SDRs that have three key focus areas and KPIs, and you can mark them and say, yes, I did this, this, and this. So you can track your completion and furnish it, right? That's one example. It's an AE promotion criteria tracker. You can also go, well, hey, I met with six AEs last week, and maybe that's a lot, probably three per week, right? You don't want to take too much time away from your cold calls, but like, how many AEs are you meeting with? How many discovery calls have you listened to on Gong in your downtime, right? What is your feedback on some of those calls? Do a prospectus for me. Go listen to two discovery calls, one from the top AE, one from the worst AE. Do a deep dive on your own time because you're committed to your professional development. You still got to hit your number and your role. Do a deep dive on each of them and email it over to me. Whatever you're thinking, notes, things you like, things you learned, things you thought could be better, your own feedback, who cares? Do a deep dive on it. That shows me that you're going to take the time to dissect your own calls when you're doing discovery. That shows me what your level of comprehension is for the AE role. Dress for the job you want before you have it. Obviously, you're not going to be able to run discovery, but there are things you can do outside of actually doing the AE job that are required in the AE job. Most AEs probably don't spend that much time in professional development. 
the ones that are hitting quota are. The ones that are hitting quota are asking their teammates for feedback. They're looking at other people's calls. They're learning. They're taking schools. They're taking trainings. They're watching YouTube videos during lunch, whether it's something as cheesy as one of my favorites, which is Jim Rohn motivational seminars that I love to watch all the time. I do my daily Jim Rohn five minutes every single day. I pull a video up, but there's five to 15 minutes, get some Jim Rohn in my absolute favorite. Or they'll go and they'll like pay for their own Udemy or Coursera course, where they just learn like how to have more effective cold call conversations, like whatever that might be. But what are you doing outside of the day-to-day role of the AE from a development perspective? Because you can apply that to your role. It's listening to calls to get better, seeking feedback from like-minded people. There are lots of things that you can do. Think about if I'm an AE, aside from doing the job, what are the things an AE does to improve? Am I doing those relative to the SDR job? And if you're not, then stop asking me about being an AE. Go do that for a while. See how much you enjoy doing that. And then we'll talk about what an AE position looks like. But first identify the level of trust you have with this person. Once that's done, talk about the things that they could do in terms of development that they would need to do if they were an AE trying to develop themselves. What are you doing that an AE is? Because you're still going to do the same thing. You're not going to do a bunch of cold calling and cold emailing. You're going to be doing discovery and demos and pricing and negotiation calls but you're still going to be trying to get better. So what are you doing to get better in your current role? How many people have you met with? How many calls have you done a deep dive on? How many objection handling sessions and role play sessions have you done with your team? How much professional development have you done from learning and structured training, or even something as simple as a YouTube video, right? What are you doing on your own time to get better? Because the best AEs are preparing and planning and spending time in their own time to get better. Those are how people earn quarter of a million, 500 million a year in sales as an AE. Straight crushed it, man. I mean, I couldn't have said it any better. And, you know, to transition from that, thinking about maybe a little bit differently, but imagine having, well, you because you currently do, a high-performing rep that is on your team that let's say we're going to call it 200% quota mm-hmm. and they're wanting to leave your team. How is a leader, how does that number one, like, do you want that person to stay on your team or do you want to empower them to make that jump to an AE, but then selfishly as an SDR manager, you know, you're going to lose their number. So like, I guess it's a double part question. How do you handle a situation like that? Knowing you're going to have a missing head. Well, just not really a missing head, like a ghost, but like you have to backfill that spot and bring on another SDR. So I can tell you how I would handle it, but I'm built a little differently in that regard. And I pride myself on this because a lot of people get scared. I recall what we've talked about prior that you're probably looking for me to speak on. And so I'll get there. But most people are terrified. Most SDR managers, SDR leaders are terrified. So my question to challenge them is, as you said, what if you lose that person on your team? Better yet, what if you lose that person as a whole to the company? You imagine what it looks like to your boss as an SDR leader if your 200% performer decides to go take an offer somewhere else. So, you know, if they're 200% quota. So what you need to do is realize that if, your top performer is not getting promoted in some form or fashion, whether it's you're nine months in. So we're going to give you like a title bump and a pay bump to get you to the AE spot eventually to satisfy you a little bit more until we can officially move you over in an AE role, or you're not clearly laying out, Hey, you're on a two month promotion path. Like, you know, we're going to have you finish out the quarter and do some AE training. And then next quarter, you're going to be an AE. If you're not doing that, you're going to lose that person entirely. So it really doesn't matter because guess what? You're going to lose that person anyway, either on your team or in the company as a whole. And so you can't block their promotion. You need to do what you can to be an advocate for them and make the case for that moving forward. Your company's hiring AEs. Fantastic. 
tell your sales leader, you should consider this person. This is why. And work alongside that person to do that. Because at the end of the day, they're going to leave anyway. They're going to go be an AE somewhere else. They're going to be an AE for your company. So you really have no choice in the matter. Now, David, you're probably getting at the core question, which is why don't most people do that? Yes. Because most leaders are terrified of having to train someone else and they're not confident in their program. I can tell you there's probably 30% of the high performers on my team that I lucked out with. Whether I was training them or Dingledorf down the road was training them, they were going to be rock stars. Like some people just have it. You know what I mean? Joey Alvandi, he's one of the AEs at Pavilion. He was actually an SDR of mine at 3PL Central when I was an SDR manager there. Yeah, I probably put a lot of effort into coaching him and developing him and being a mentor, but that guy's just got to drive like nobody else. He's got it. You know what I mean? He was going to make it happen regardless if he was working with me or working with Sam Nelson or working with, you know, whoever, right? No matter who he was working for, awesome person, medium person, awful person, this guy was going to hit his quota, his number, he was going to crush it. And so sometimes you have people like that. And I think a lot of times SDR managers and leaders that aren't confident in their onboarding program or their training or coaching, training program or their coaching abilities are terrified of losing that person. And so they stonewall their promotion or they don't speak up for that person. And there should be some work that you have to do to help get that person promoted as well. Like you're not just giving, you know, your blessing, you're going to have to push and you're going to have to help put things together and package that because your SDR is not going to know how to do it. The case for helping them become promoted, you'll feel a lot better putting in a couple hours of work to help your SDR get promoted, your top performer, than seeing that person walk out the door. And it's going to look better on you too. The other recommendation I can make is more sales teams need to have an SDR promotion bonus for managers. Hey, if you have an SDR that becomes an AE, we pay you X amount up front. And at their six month mark, you get X amount. Because not only is that encouraging you to develop the next level of talent for the company, it also helps me stay loyal, right? Because now I want to stick around, see what this person does in six months so I can get a good payout, even scale the payout. Hey, if this person performs at 100% over the next six months, you get X payout. If it's 120, you get X payout. If it's 80, you get X payout, right? Give a three-tiered structure to their six-month performance because part of what they're successful at is because of your coaching, your ability, your training. While some of it might be innate from them as a rock star, you just have to be comfortable and understand that like, if you do the right things, seek the right help. There are a lot of SDR people out there that are leading teams that may not have little guidance, may not have a lot. Like you have resources, reach out to me, reach out to David. We'll help you. We'll coach you up on sales leadership. We'll coach you up on best practices. Or even if you're just like, dude, we're having a hard time with cold calls, reach out to somebody, talk to them about it. That's the importance of community. We're all struggling with things, you know, and you might strike gold and Here's some information from someone who's doing well in an area that you're not doing well in. And that's the whole point of the community, right? There are tons of SDR community programs out there for SDR leaders, whether it's just directly on LinkedIn or separate communities outside of that. And you need to reach out and you need to enhance your skills as well. And so it just boils down to a lot of people not doing it because they're terrified of having to hire and backfill another position. They're terrified of somebody not working out. They're terrified of missing that pipeline because they're not confident in their skills to get it back with another SDR. That's not a reason to not promote someone, but unfortunately, in more than half the cases that I see in the SDR to AE program, that's what we see is it's just a manager who's afraid of losing that pipeline. And then what happens? That person goes and works at another company. And then that manager gets a big, big slap on the wrist because their VP is like, what the heck? How did we lose this person? What did you do wrong? That's worse than taking a little bit of time to promote someone. I'll tell you that. That's a bad conversation. That conversation doesn't seem fun. And I dig that. I think the thing you spoke about in regards to 
compensation, thinking about a way of incentivizing the director, like, hey, if somebody sticks around like an account executive for X, Y, and Z, certain amount of time, if they hit 100%, like there should be some type of incentives. I 100% mm-hmm. agree. I've heard of maybe one, maybe two companies that have done something like that. But at that time, I was not in leadership. So don't even know what that would even look like. But I think those type of conversations should definitely be had because a lot of leadership, a lot of leaders end up leaving due to the fact that they aren't being incentivized for a lot of the different promotions from SDR to AE, and they're continuing to have to retrain. And so incentivizing the leader to continue to keep elevating these folks, I think that's just, that's straight brilliant. I love that. The best rule of thumb is there should be two comps when they, right when the SDR gets promoted to AE and then after six months of tenure. When they get promoted from SDR to AE, you should pay your SDR manager leader the same amount you would pay an internal employee referral right off the bat. So if it's $1,500, $2,000, $3,000, I've seen at some companies, whatever that is, you should pay that to them immediately. Then six months down the road, you should have a tiered structure. Hey, less than 100, you know, 99 to 50% or whatever you want to say, tier one, tier two, tier three performance, there should be a payout because you directly influenced that coaching, you had a direct hand in that coaching and influence that performance at some level, right? Especially as a first time AE coming from an SDR role, they're going to expect you to prospect a lot more. And so if you did a heck of a job and help them do that, and they're now they're generating their own pipeline, you should get some, and it doesn't have to be a lot. It could be 1,000, 1,500, 2,000. But if you're telling me, Hey, in six months, I could potentially make three to five grand from letting my person be promoted. I mean, my woes of having to train another SDR go away real quick, right? I'm adding an extra three to five grand of my paycheck. (laughs) No, there's so, I mean, you just hit it right on the head. I mean, there's, we've talked about many different things today. And I think the core of the episode is talking from SDR to AE, really that, how is that going to look? What do you think the future is going to look like? I mean, do you see SDRs doing that hybrid approach? I'm seeing it more and more. You look at different types of jobs that are coming out. It's like, hybrid SDR slash closing SMB. Like, what do you think that looks like? Kind of giving them, you know, the SDRs, those at bats, like we talked about, it'd be nice to get them some quick wins. Do you see it SDR hybrid? Then if they perform at a certain level, then they end up moving to mid-market to enterprise, et cetera. Or do you see what we have today is SDR then moving to AE? Like what's kind of your take on that doc? God, I hope we don't move to a hybrid type SDR thing. That's just a nightmare. I'm a specialization person. You know, if you're doing inbound, do inbound. If you're doing outbound, do outbound. If you're an AE, do AE. If you're an SDR, it'd be an SDR. I think the Betts recruiting comp guide or something for 2022 said that like the standard salary, I mean, for the most part across the country for an AE is like 75, 80K now. I'm not paying somebody 80K to make cold calls. Get that crap out of here. Are you kidding me? Your AEs should be closing deals. So the future of the SDR world has to be one of two things. We either need to adjust AE quotas and create a more structured AE tiered system where it's like AE1, AE2, AE3, senior AE, enterprise AE, commercial AE. Like We need to structure it a little bit more where now 25, 26-year-old professionals can be first-time AEs and we just have our AEs Part of their life now is prospecting in addition to their deals. Like we either just need to fully commit to a, eliminating the SDR role and having more SDRs be AEs and just have AEs self-generate all their own opportunities, which I'm sure every AE hates, <laughs> right? Because we're not paying them to make cold calls and do cold outreach and research. 
we need to pick one lane. We either need to fully eliminate the SDR role, implement more top of funnel activity across the AEs, create a more junior AE to AE1, AE2 to enterprise AE type structure where you can really tier your accounts and your outreach, or just do what I say and let your SDRs do what you pay them to do and let your AEs do what you pay them to do. If you're a sales leader, quit freaking giving your AE self-gen opportunity quotas to meet every week. That is the dumbest thing. I don't care who hears this. It is the dumbest thing you can do. And it's dumb because now you have your AEs competing with your SDRs for opportunity. And then people start getting into arguments. You're already dealing with arguments about SQO qualifications. Why add rules of engagement arguments on top of all that? Like, it's just a mess. Like, make it as simple as possible. SDRs and BDRs are development reps for either sales or business. Business is sales. Sales is business. I don't know. Sometimes BDRs are outbound. Sometimes they're inbound. There's a whole conversation we get into about that too. But regardless, inbound and outbound reps and then AEs. And your AEs should only be working from discovery to close. They should not be self-generating opportunities. You don't pay them to do that. And now you're adding a whole nother thing that could whack out your alignment. Well, I reached out to him six months ago. Well, I reached out to this persona two months ago. Well, I reached out to this persona last week and now he came inbound. Now it's mine. Now, not only are we arguing if it's marketing efforts because they came back on the website or outbound efforts because an SDR has been cold calling them for six months. Like it's just this whole other layer of problem that you can have. So quit giving AE self-opportunity goals, generated goals. They don't need to generate their own pipeline. They need to like, we want AEs to generate pipeline, but they're getting 18% win rates. Go focus on closing deals instead of generating opportunities for the love of God, like quit it. You know what I mean? Have them focus on what you're paying them. 75, 80, 85, 95, hundred. If you're enterprise level in salary a year and let the SDRs who are making 50, 55, 60 in base salary, get paid what they're doing, which is cold outreach, top of funnel, answering inbound forms, all those things, but you need to specialize. So you either eliminate your SDR rule completely, hire more junior reps, let them be AEs, or let your AEs do what you pay them to do and let the SDRs just focus on generating the opportunity. Just have that trust. And if you're a sales leader and you don't have that trust, then bring in someone like David to come and coach your team so your SDRs perform well. Like that's what you need to do. Bring somebody in to help. It's not a sign that you don't know what you're doing. How many people that want to lose weight don't hire a personal trainer and are successful. Very few. Go hire a personal trainer. That's what an SDR coach is. That's what an SDR leader coach is. Someone who can come in and help you get better at what you're trying to do. And it's ridiculous that companies typically bring in less than three outside sources per year to help their sales team. It's absolutely ludicrous to me because, I mean, maybe information overload, but I probably have more than eight sources of mentorship in my life. You know, eight different sources of places where I'm receiving mentorship as a human and a professional. So like, why would a company bring in millions of dollars a year, spending millions of dollars a year, not bring in more outside source to help. It's just ludicrous to me, but we have to either eliminate one or the other, right? We have to eliminate prospecting for AEs or the SDR role as a whole. And all I got to say is the sales doctor is burning Jim Rome style. Like you just dropped it on. You just hit everything perfectly. And, you know, Chet, I just want to say, Thank you so much for joining the Sales Development Podcast. You always bring so much insight to not only speaking on a leader's behalf, but also your SDRs. And I think that's what a true leader is. And, you know, I'm just so grateful we had this time today, man. Likewise. I'm glad for the opportunity. I know some of what I say, probably not the best because some people are like, well, I don't agree with that. And that's great, right? Opinions are opinions. Everybody's got one. And so if I say something that resonated, fantastic. 
if I say something that doesn't didn't resonate and there's total aggression and withholding up to that, then that's fine. Maybe it's a new way of thinking. Eat the fish and spit out the bones, right? <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Once again, Chet Lovegren, Director of Sales Development at Pavilion. Any final plugs you want to give before we wrap up the show? More than welcome to reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's the place where I communicate the most. You know, I love these podcasts because it's live, it's unfiltered. You probably noticed by now I'm a well of run-on sentences. So if you want more structured information from me, you can always check out my content, which is much more edited and filtered. A little bit probably, you know, more digestible bite-sized pieces of content. I'm also hiring a bunch of SDRs right now, and I know a bunch of people hiring SDRs. So if anybody's looking for a job, I respond to every DM. Just for the sake of time, though, I do typically only have people that are looking for people with some previous sales experience. So if you're coming from like a sales apprenticeship program, I could probably help you there. But more often than not, we're looking for at least, you know, three to six months of prior sales experience. Don't care if it's not from a recurring revenue model perspective. If you sold insurance or sold cars, come to me. That's totally fine. I sold insurance for five years, was wildly successful when I joined software. So I know what that world looks like. But yeah, just connect with me on LinkedIn and there's links to everything. My TikTok, my Instagram, my sales content, my SDR to AE program, my podcast, Pavilion, whatever you want. It's all there. Awesome, Chet. Well, thank you so much and look forward to connecting and doing some type of future event with you. Love it. Thank you, David. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.